You are looking live. So uh, I'm in my living room. Uh, Nate, are you in your living room or are you in your like nursery? I am in the guest room upstairs. Guest room upstairs. Anthony, yeah. where are you? I am back in the closet. Well, well, okay. Well. <laughs> so much for progress in 2017. Yeah. <laughs> you know what? Cl- closet studio for all the listeners. Anthony, be who you are, man. Like, come on. <laughs> we don't care. Um, so we played football this week. Not very well. And I think we wrapped it up pretty well on the Facebook Live that we did. Um, if you're not following it, if you don't have us clicked on Facebook, we do put content out there sometimes that is not available on the blog, which is stupid because we really should put it on the blog because that's how we get paid. Um, but sometimes we don't and because we're lazy. So follow us on Twitter, um, stamp, at StampedeFBN. Uh, and, of course, um, we are – what is our Facebook page? I guess it is Facebook.com slash The Daily Stampede. Yeah, I think so. I think. I think that's it. Um, so follow us on there too. We got a, co- a couple thousand of you guys out there already, and of course, growing that would probably be a good thing. And of course, af- and if, after listening to this podcast, if you guys wouldn't mind also uh, going and clicking on iTunes and saying how fabulous and wonderful we are, a lot of you left five star comments for us last week. If you're not going to leave a five star comment, don't, don't bother. Yeah, don't bother. But if you do, um, we greatly appreciate it. Um, it has helped with our ranking and people. Help, it really does help people find us, which is awesome. So thank mm-hmm. all, to all of you who did that. And if you haven't, please take the time to do so. All right, let's get to the game. Uh, even though we sort of wrapped this up earlier on video, we'll do this quickly. Yeah, 31-17. Uh, we both went back and watched it again Monday, I guess. I did mine on Monday, Sunday night, Monday morning, something yeah. like that. Yeah, it's it's not good. And the offense is just clearly the problem. They're not clicking. We, uh, you know, special teams isn't great either, but that's something I think they're still be still be able to work around. That punt, you know, what, what did you see on the punt? You said you saw kind of the same thing at San Jose that you saw at the punt last week for the yeah, punt block. Yeah, so on the on the punt, it looks like long snapper Zach Dietz is supposed to have the a gap, but he does not. I don't know what the rule is for long snappers in protection. But he just broke free and went downfield to cover the punt. So that brought a guy to the A-gap. So there's two guys from the outside plus the A-gap. And only Mitchell Wilcox and Kano Dillon back to block three guys. So Dietz Dietz stays back and blocks the A-gap. It's one-on-one with Wilcox and Kano on the two edge rushers. But even then, Kano picks the wrong guy to block. So Wilcox picks up the A-gap block, and then Kano slides over and also picks up the A-gap block. Oh. It looks like, the, like if, you're, if, you're face, if you're facing the same way as John Hernandez, the guy on the right is the one that looks like, it looks like he's the one that gets the block. So Kano's on the right. He, that should have been his man, and the guy coming from the left was a little bit farther back than the A-gap and the guy on the right. So... Hernandez could have been able to get the punt off. It would have been close, but it was a counting mistake, blocking mistake, just completely missed assignments all around on that block punt. So the only rule on snappers, I think, is that you can't, the defense can't cover the snapper anymore. It used to be they could be like right over their head, but now you cannot cover the snapper. You have to be in a gap or just completely away from him. So theoretically, your snapper should be able to like help, you know, once he Block. snaps the ball, at least be able to like ship at least, you know, at least get some, at least get a body on a guy before he takes off. 
can we discuss how stupid college punt formations are anyway? Like, uh, the, okay. the splits are ridiculous. Like, okay. I, I don't I don't like it. I like the NFL has, the, you know, the tight splits. Everybody's there, and it's a lot harder to sneak someone through on an NFL punt block unless you just completely missed assignment. I, that's that's my complaint. I don't like how college teams do their their punts, but that's that's just me. Gotcha. Okay. So I, I didn't. I actually didn't even go back and watch the defense. I mean, they looked fine on you know live. Not yep. spectacular. A couple missed tackles for sure. You know, the the fifty-seven yard touchdown was absolutely a blow because they had him wrapped up and then he just got away. I don't have my book in front of me. How can I do the podcast without a stats book in front of me? I am the worst. You're kind of bad. I'm terrible at my job. Um, I got one around here somewhere, but I'll find it. So, yeah, just, you know, I mean, a couple of missed assignments, but nothing that's, like, against an FCF team that's going to shatter you. Um, Mm -hmm. So, yards per play, just not nearly good enough. They're They're not explosive. They don't scare anybody. They're plowing the ball into the line. They're running between the tackles a lot. Well, you got to run between the tackles sometimes because you have to keep defenses honest. But maybe it's just the percentage of times that we're running between the tackles that bothers me. Uh, I charted every play, and actually, I should pull up my chart because it says things like, at one point, we ran a counter tray with our quarterback naked, and I wasn't sure if that's what I saw, but apparently that is now a a thing in college football. So I was, you know. I was like, that, is that really a thing? But apparently a couple other teams are doing that too. So, like, here are my, like, notes play-by-play, play, okay? I have a – so here's what I've got. I've got a down and distance, yard line personnel, yards gained and lost, formation, defense formation, the play, yards gained and lost, mm-hmm. and then yards gained and lost twice. I've, oh, that's right, because I was doing some math with it. And then comments. And then, like, here are my comments for the first series. B-gap destroyed, DL splits rough Norman. No LL reaches the second level. Uh, right side of the line destroyed. Okay, <laughs> like yeah, yeah, that, that's that's a that's a big thing. Is yeah, the side of the line was terrible. Yeah, and like you just see these things, and like pocket breaks down. A couple of them, a lot of uh, a few of them say uh, couldn't see it on TV. That's always fun. Oh. But you know, just like you see this, and it, it's super frustrating because. We've seen this offense be amazing. And this this offensive line, I think, you know, it wasn't spectacular by any stretch last year, but like, you know, Norman whiffs everything on edge. These are just comments that I have put in, you know, Jeremy Hall, way illegal downfield. That was on the screen pass. Yeah, it was like, you know, like five, six yards downfield, no call. Mm-hmm. But then there are a couple where, like, especially later in the game, it seems like they got it together. You know, we ran power at one point against a blitz and still picked it up and, and and had a nice gain. The blitz pick up on a couple of decisions by Flowers. Like the INT by Flowers was a blitz. That was uh, terrible. That was an awful decision in the moment. I don't um, know what he saw. But good blocking. Like they block it really well. Yeah. Like, uh, I forget if it was Tice or DJ, but somebody picked it up. And he certainly had time to make the play, make the right decision, and just, just whiffed it. So they're not clicking. It's not. It doesn't look right. Marcus Norman missed his block. So I'm just like scrolling down and seeing what I've got. For mm-hmm. So I'm frustrated uh, with that. But I, I still think that this should be a zone blocking team. This is what these guys were brought in here to do. 
and when we're running power, like, and or we're you know having you know Wilcox you know like on that uh, acting like a fullback on like these trap blocks, like that's not what. it's not what USF should be. Like no. at times you have to balance. I understand that you have to balance things and, and you want to keep defenses honest, but this isn't what it should be. And, you know, I, do you agree that like, this is just, we're just doing everything not right here. Yeah. And, you know, I, I went back uh, yesterday and uh, just looking at the first two offensive drives, you can tell where the problem is. And yeah. it's not it's not necessarily play calling. It's just the blocking up front has been just terrible. There's the fourth and two uh, that Quentin uh, took off and said they said they he scored, but he actually didn't. Uh, that just the pocket was just broken down. I wrote like, my notes so on that, quick. My notes on that play is no alignment reaches the second level. That's my count. Yeah. That's my note on that play. And like. Okay, that's bad. All right, so if you know your offensive line's bad and you don't have a lot of time, then move the pocket. You've got a quarterback yeah. that loves the pocket move. You know, put him out and stay. You know, uh, get his get his wheels going one way or the other. We we do move the pocket a couple of times, but nothing. It's not a significant mm-hmm. part of what we do. The other way to help your offensive line out is run some screens. Yep. <laughs> you know, if a de- if if a defense is just teeing off and pinning their ears back because they know they can get to the quarterback. We'll run a middle screen, and that'll keep them in their lanes real quick. You know, or or have Quentin. You know, obviously, if they if they totally bust it, just have Quentin take off and go. And I don't know what Quentin's you know been told about how often he can take off. I would think that you know he certainly had a couple of plays where he just you know the play broke down and he you know took off and picked up it you know and scrambled yardage. I don't know if they've restricted him in any way from doing that, but that just seems to be the way, like if you're going to help out your offensive line that way and use your speed on the outside and, you know, use your playmakers to, to help your offensive line out. Mm-hmm. And in, they did run a couple of, uh, you know, screens, you know, middle wide receiver screens, but nothing. Yeah. Two to t- two, two of them. They ran two. They were both the McCants. One got dropped. Yep. And, and they ran you know, a bubble for Tenny. Yep. And the other one went for, it looks like nine yards. So, I mean, they, yeah they had success with it because the linebackers were cheating up. They were by, you know, the second quarter, the linebackers were, you know, two or three yards behind the defensive line instead of the normal, like five to six to give them space. They were cheating up, cheating up, waiting for the run, waiting for the run when we were told and they were going to stop the deep ball by any means necessary. And they were able to do both. Right. So, I don't know. Sterling has to figure something out because, I mean, clearly the play calling is not working. But it concerns me that Mike Galati is your best option. Like moving your Remington Trophy watch list candidate, Cam Ruff, to right guard because your backup right guard isn't better than center Mike Galati. That concerns me. Where That's real bad. Galati, there was just one play. It was on the second drive. Uh, I went over it on Twitter uh, last night where Galati scrapes to the get to the linebacker, which opens up a hole for Dearness. But half a second later, Galati's back to the line of scrimmage. So Galati cool. gets up to the second level to the linebacker. 
and then gets pushed back three yards. Johnson runs straight into him, into the back, for no gain. And then on the very next play, uh, they bring pressure through the A-gap between the center and the right guard. So it's Galati and Ruff. They don't communicate who gets the blitz pickup. The linebacker slips through both of them and brings down Johnson for a loss of two. And you just see Cam Ruff just spin around like a where-are-they-coming-from type of motion. Like he has no idea what is going on. Like, why is he already in the backfield? <laughs> well, that's your uh, senior Selman Award winner and a a real bright kid. Like, some, <laughs> this kid's, you know, super smart. If he doesn't know where the guy's coming from, I'm going to yeah. bet the rest of the offensive line might not know either. Exactly. Uh, so that, that could be a problem. On the, the next play that, you know, Quentin almost bails him out, uh, Darnell Solomon, one-on-one down the left sideline, and he just – Solomon just jumps too early, and uh, it goes through his hands. I mean, yeah. drop passes have killed this offense just as much as the poor, the poor blocking. And we talked to Timmy Alaka today, and he said the wide receivers need to do a better job catching the ball. We haven't done a good job doing it. Him and the rest of the receiving crew haven't done a good job blocking – or catching the ball, excuse me. And, you yeah. know – on that miscommunication, I asked him about that miscommunication with Quentin and he said it was a check with me play and it was supposed to be a block. It was supposed to be a run block, but Quentin thought he was going to be running a hitch. And that's why he, that's why Quentin threw the ball and and Alaka's blocking downfield. Did he he tell you who screwed it up? Who, who, who missed it? Was it? He he just, uh, he just said that they got it fixed on the sideline. Which means it's probably Quentin's fault. <laughs> he's, a, yeah, he's, he's, a, he's a grad transfer, man. He's been in the game for a while. He's not. He's not stupid. <laughs> That's pretty funny. The other, yeah, the other thing I noticed when I guess you don't notice this as much when you're in the in the press box is that when they change the protection, when they go check with me, that they have Durnis pull out the protection. Yeah, he calls the place. It goes. It goes straight to the running back. That's weird to me. Why That's isn't the really weird? Yeah, why don't your quarterback do that? Um, I don't know. Strange. So. I wrote about this yesterday, you know, hashtag free Quentin, uh, let, let him cook. Mm-hmm. Uh, it certainly, I think, um, did a hell of a lot of traffic, that's for sure. Yep. And I, I did hear from a couple of people around the program saying you kind of said what needed to be said. I don't know if that's true. That might be people with agendas. So I try not to, like, say, hey, great job, me, because, you know, it could be I'm just sort of giving voice to a narrative that, that it's what I see. It's what I think a lot of people see. I'm not the only one, certainly. Uh, mm-hmm. But you know, when you hear from people inside the program about stuff like that, I'm sure you know, they have reasons for doing the things that they're doing. All I can do is talk to the people that I talk to and see what I can see. So, But I did hear from some people around the program who said, you kind of hit it right on the head. So um, when you write something like that, that is critical, it's tough sometimes because you're like, am I, am I going too far? Am I being fair? Blah, 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 yep. blah, blah. You know, it's just, sometimes it's tough. And so I wrote it because I, I thought it needed to be said. I had heard from a, some things from some people as well before I wrote it, but then after um, I heard from even more. So I don't know if it's right, but it's what I could see. And it certainly delved into today's press conference where a lot of people asked some of the same questions that I did in my piece of uh, the coaching yeah. staff. And so uh, what did you hear at, at the presser today? Well, Joey Knight, our friend uh, at the Tampa Bay Times, he asked you know, Charlie Strong you know, straight up, 
what you know the fans are starting to freak out about the offense what what would you have to say to them to you know calm them down and he pretty you know took a threw, threw some shade at the fans he said you know a lot of fans were in the stands and we appreciate it but a lot of them weren't there so we need to get everybody on board that was his initial response to a question you know about the offensive play calling and not being able to use Quentin or not using Quentin to his full extent. He's like, well, you know, the fans aren't there. So I thought, which is a really weird, that's a weird response. It is. It is, is a very weird response. And then, you know, he goes on to Joey asked him another question about getting Dearness involved in the passing game, which, you know, he had 28 catches last year, which led all returning USL players this season. He also had five receiving touchdowns, which also led all returners. And he doesn't have a catch yet. And he said, well, you know, it's up to, you know, play calling and scheme and what the defense has given us and all that. But, I mean, we're not seeing him even what attempting. Are you yeah, I mean, like, okay. You know, uh, if it's all on play calling and scheme. Well, call some screens, you know, get DJ involved in ways that, that we've seen BD. How many DJ wheel routes have we seen in our life? Hell, how many we've seen DJ throw touchdown passes, put him in that mm-hmm. way. You know, whatever you got to do to like get that kid involved. He's, he's not, his numbers are not what they should be. You know, they're, they're pretty down. Um, it seems like like Tice Moore is a runner. Uh, for yeah, sure. I think that's what we've seen as well. Just, I don't know if Dearness looks a step slower. He's just hesitant and they knew, system but Tice does look like the more confident back as of right now right and we saw nobody except those two on Saturday no Trevon Sands no Duran Bell no you know whoever else I got back I got a bunch of guys back there but yeah we Elijah, Mack got, Elijah Mack um there were you know we they didn't really empty, ever have at any point empty the bench which is something you would hope to do against a an FCS team but like you know, did we see anybody but those starting five play offensive line? I don't think so. I think it was just those five guys. <laughs> That's amazing. You know, I, I don't know if they came off the field at once, which crazy. And when you're playing Stony Brook, you would hope to be able to get some guys in there um, that could do that. We do have some injury news that you have just reported, and you are going to give a little more context to it now. So uh, we knew about Rushing Bronson. Full disclosure, we know about Russian Bronson about a month yeah, ago. Yeah, yeah, we <laughs> – I knew he got hurt the day it happened. Um, you told us, like, that day. You told us I, everything. I did. I, yeah. I told you that day, and I went up to, you know, the USF SID, and I told him, this is what I know. And he asked me to hold off on it because he hadn't been fully checked out by the team doctors. Well, it turns out – Rasheem Bronson dislocated his shoulder on August 10th. It was, they were in team drills, and cornerback Dietrich Nichols hit him and popped his shoulder out, popped his right shoulder out. Um, and he came back down with a sling. He came back to practice after being evaluated, getting x-rays. It didn't have an MRI yet, but he came back down with right, uh, his right arm in a sling. So that was uh, concerning, to say the least. And eventually it led to surgery, which 
when you dislocate your shoulder, it's normally a three to 12 week recovery time. So that happened August 10th. First game of the season was, you know, 19 days after that or 16 days after that. So I told everyone, you know, Facebook lives and Twitter, everything. I said, don't expect them week one or week zero. Don't expect them last week. Don't even expect them this week. It's not going to happen. He's not healed. And come to find out, he had surgery on the shoulder, which means there was a, t- a ligament tear in the shoulder from the dislocation. And that will extend the recovery time even further. And he put it on Instagram, which allowed us to report on it finally, that he had surgery on it. He, he let us know he had surgery on it. I didn't know the extent of the injury. I just knew it was dislocated. So, you know... Uh, PT buddy of mine, physical, he's in physical therapy school. He, you know, I asked him, I was like, so what, what happens when you dislocate your shoulder? And, you know, he went over it and he said, well, if there's a dislocation, it usually results in labrum damage. And he said, because once the bone slips out of the socket, the labrum loses its suction. It's like, it's like a suction cup. So if it tears, think about a suction cup when there's a tear in it. It's not going to hold. So he had to get that, that fixed. So he's out for the year. He does have a red shirt. He, he, he's played all four years. So he'll likely be back next year, which is probably a blessing for the team with Temi Alaka and Marquez Valdez-Scanling being seniors and graduating next uh, this season. So having him back with some experience with a youthful wide receiver core is not the worst thing in the world. It's uh, I feel horrible for the kid. And, you know, it was a, uh kind of a we kind of knew and we just didn't want to really you know put it out there because we were asked not to but uh, I feel terrible for the kid and surgery hurts and I had I had a buddy of mine who got you know the the same kind of surgery when we were in college together he was one of my roommates and he came home and he could not move like the the amount like even after the surgery you're just in extreme incredible pain like just to give you the the biggest drugs they've got um, because it's just one of those it just really really hurts so feeling for Raisheen hope he's able to to come back and be himself once again for the team it, it kind of works out because they they were so heavy at wide receiver this year to be able to bring back another guy for next year um and maybe even go a little further down the depth chart and use that talent mm-hmm. that they have in depth this year so it, it, for the team it kind of works out but i'm really feeling for the kid so um we're facing UConn on Saturday. Bulls are 17-point favorite. And with that, we will turn it over to a conversation I had earlier tonight with Aman Kidwai of the UConn blog. Aman is a really good dude. He is somebody who is probably as knowledgeable about UConn football as anyone. You can find a lot of people to talk about UConn women's basketball um, intelligently. You can't really find that many about UConn football, and he's one of the best. Um, he gives some really good insight here. And looks like they're excited to have Randy Etzel back. For some reason. For some reason. I don't get it. You know, they bring back Sheriffs as quarterback. They bring back Etzel as his coach. Just need uh, Donald Brown back, I guess. <laughs> it's just like, all right, guys. But apparently they're pretty fired up. So uh, this is me with Amon Kidwai of the UConn blog. All right. Joining us here on the pod is uh, the editor, not founder, but editor, uh, super genius and all around expert of all things Husky. Amon Kidwai from the UConn blog. Buddy, your Connecticut Huskies are 1-0. How excited are you for football this season? 
We were really excited for football this season, I swear. Um, no, stop. We were, we were, we were, we were really excited. We um, let's let's just address the the elephant in the room. Randy Etzel returned, which uh, <laughs> at its base was not super exciting. I, I will admit. That said, uh, we picked up the offensive coordinator from Auburn, Rhett Lashley. Uh, I think you know, no matter what, for someone with that kind of ped- pedigree to end up at UConn. That felt exciting. That that uh, made the fans feel like a modern version of American tackle football might be played uh, on the offensive side by UConn. So uh, that move came with some excitement. And then and then defensively, we got a good FCS defensive coordinator, led the top defense in the FCS at Villanova in Billy Crocker, uh, who also brought a more aggressive style than uh, than his predecessor. Did so. We were we were pretty excited. There were some good wins on the recruiting trail they were able to put together. So, believe it or not, you know I think especially just given how poorly last season ended, UConn fans were really excited about the start of the season. There was a, a junior college transfer at quarterback, and and you know who we beat Temple for on the recruiting trail, which may not sound that exciting, but Temple's won 20 games in the past two years, and UConn's won nine. So I think, for, again, for UConn fans, there was a lot of excitement heading into the start of the season. That was severely dampened by a uh, mediocre suboptimal performance against Holy Cross in week one. But, but now, buddy, there's a new sheriff in town. He's back. You bring back head coaches. You bring back starting quarterbacks. When's Calhoun coming back to coach the basketball team? Come on. <laughs> I mean, just bring, bring everybody home. So I watched your game uh, in equal parts rooting for you because it's good for the league and we need better teams in this league, especially if we wanted to get it to where we want to go and equal parts, um, Schadenfreude because I, I don't know, you guys win national championships and all this different stuff. Can you at least suck in football? That just seems fair. And you didn't suck in football. In fact, your start, uh, what's his name? Starts with a P your starting quarterback who started the last game. Who Pindell. I'm just Pindell, David thank Pindell. you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, who he looks pretty good, and then he makes these huge mistakes. But you can see he's athletic. He's just not ready yet. He looks really kind of raw. And then Sheriffs comes in, drives you down the field two times or three times. Did he? Did you score there? Sheriffs led uh, three touchdown drives. Three touchdown drives, and like out of nowhere, because it sure looked like you were going to go home a double-digit loser. Mm-hmm. Um, and he seemed to pull it together for you. So. For USF fans, it's very similar to the Quentin Flowers, Mike White game at uh, SMU a couple of years ago, where it looks all for dead. They sub the quarterback in, and all of a sudden, come back down two scores and come back and win. Uh, that's kind of what happens. So, but your team's still not anywhere where you need to be. You, and you're bringing back coaches, and I, and I get all that, and I make jokes about it. And hey, you're beating out Temple for recruits, and you know, good job. Have you seen Temple's campus? I don't know why anybody goes to school there, and I'm from Philadelphia. <laughs> So, but I mean, in term, but you just need better players. I think at this point, I think is that, would you agree with that assessment? It's just a talent gap at this point. You guys are, you know, a little bit behind on talent, whereas opposed to in every other sport, you're pretty much ahead. And in women's basketball, you're like, you know, beating WBA teams. Of course. So, yeah, I mean, there, there obviously is a talent challenge for UConn <clears throat> as well as for any, um, uh, in my opinion, any group of five program at, at certain positions. So, um, you know, quarterback has, has consistently been an issue, but I think for all of us in this AAC, both the offensive line and defensive line are always going to be kind of a challenge to be really good at. 
those things are are something that I'm concerned about when we play our league slate and things that I should be less concerned about against Holy Cross. Uh, and so that's why, you know, in terms of just looking at looking back at this past week, you know, I think the the offensive line play is still a grave concern. It's it's a perennial issue for UConn, but um, you know, especially when you can't move it against against an FCS defense, you know, it just doesn't. There's no excuse for that. And and the same thing happened last year against Maine in their FCS opener. Uh, the same thing happened against Villanova two years ago. So there's there's some talent in some places on the field, but I think you know the the previous regime did have some wins on the recruiting trail, primarily defensively. Um, but definitely struggled on the offensive end, uh, and they just weren't really. Uh, and I think that's for a lot of different reasons. But uh, yeah, of course, of course, there's a talent talent challenge uh, at UConn geographically. Uh, you know, some some issues with recent history, downgrading conference, but that is trending in the right direction. So uh, we will see. So you're back on the train. Ed's, everybody's back in on the Edsel, huh? Uh, it seems like there's some. You you sound pretty excited about the program. Is that sort of the the thought throughout the fan base as well that they're happy about Edsel coming back and you feel like you're building something here? Uh, yeah, definitely. I think there's a lot of for a lot of reasons. One, uh, you know, previous head coach was a nutcase. Uh, you know, complete nutcase. No. And he... Wait, oh, whoa. <laughs> You were a founding member of the Church of Diacoism, so I, 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 you're saying he was a nutcase now. And by the way, so, you, I, you see what so he that's did. A bit, that's a bit strong. That's a bit strong to say about me, but um, you know, yeah, yeah. Look, he had he had things going in a pretty solid direction too, but spectacularly crashed and burned last season. I think, you know, for him to have gone uh six and six two years ago was really a pretty pretty impressive feat given the roster and all of that stuff and and you know that was not those juniors and seniors were not people that he um he recruited so that was based off of what he inherited and and you know they had they had a solid season and they were returning a lot of starters so there was there was actually a lot of hype in the yukon fan base for 2016 and to miss on those expectations, which were very modest, you know, we were saying, look, it'd be awesome to win seven or eight in 2016 and to miss the, to not just miss those, but to, to really, again, spectacularly crash and burn to not, not score a first quarter offensive touchdown to, uh, to get shut out in two games late in the season to switch to a freshman, uh, you know, developmental freshman prospect at quarterback so many different things that he was doing stubbornly maintaining a certain style offensively. They were just, they were just, you know, problems that were compounding each other. And uh, so, so, you know, that's kind of where the state of the program was end of 2016. And so, um, yeah, I think, you know, everyone's going to be, everyone's cautiously optimistic about this year, but, but no real high expectation. But I think those who follow the program closely see on the recruiting trail and schematically that there is progress being made. So um, I make jokes about, you know, you guys squeaking it out over Holy Cross and USF kind of in the same boat right now. Um, there's some frustration with the fan base about a certain stubbornness on offense. Sterling Gilbert coming in here and taking what was one of the most efficient offenses in the country last year 
and trying to do some different things with like modified fullbacks and veer and and you know some some stretch stuff that's not really working and um so the stubbornness in coaching uh is something i think uh both fans can relate to but it looks like you know diaco's uh if he's willing to, to pull a guy as a starting quarterback in his first game doesn't look like he's you know he's willing to make some changes there if needed and that's probably a good thing for your program at least in the short and the inter- in the uh, intermediate term so looking i'm gonna i'm gonna head up there this weekend you know if the hurricane stays out of the way and if i feel like i'm gonna be able to get home safely and sometime before like you know wednesday or thursday i'm gonna head up what am i gonna see in terms of crowd at uconn what am i gonna see in terms of like buzz on campus how many people will be in the stands Where, what's the what's the health of the program look like off the field right now so we had uh we had i think 24k announced for the the season opener and and you know obviously we both have made jokes over and over about um announced the yeah yeah the 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 accuracy and legitimacy of that figure but i i think um you know i think they they didn't have to do to do too much too much fibbing on that end there again like i said there was a pretty pretty decent feelings of excitement going into the season start of the season this was a Thursday night game against an FCS opponent. So I think for a lot of people, again, for the, for those people who do follow the program closely, who care, um, you know, they see a ranked team coming into town. It's the first Saturday game of the season. It's going to be nice. I know I said that, you know, excitement kind of dampened with the way that uh, the Holy Cross game turned out, but I don't think that's going to have too, too much of an effect on uh, attendance. I think, you know, attendance would probably have maybe have shifted a few more if there was a slightly more promising performance, but, um, you know, I, I think it should be a pretty good crowd. I would say maybe 28, 29 K that's where we are right now. You have to rebuild after so many people have, have left following the Bob Diaco era and the Paul Pascaloni era. Those are our, our past two coaches. And, you know, there's one bowl game in those past six years, uh, and and the, the one bowl appearance was a six and six season. So, again, that said, I, I do think there is some excitement, and I do think that a a ranked in conference team coming into town will make it an attractive option for Husky fans, especially so early in the season, before it gets hits the seasonal colds of late autumn. So I, I give you crap about football because we got to have something. Um, but UConn is a program overall. Uh, it seems pretty healthy right now. Um, you know, it's a disappointing season that your women's basketball team loses in the final four in a last second buzzer beater. Um, but men's basketball, I, I, I think we both agree that, you know, they're going to be a lot better this year. You agree with that assessment, I think? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, I think, yeah. I think they'll get back to the two of the players who were out for the season who would be their, uh, who would have been, two of their three best players at least last year in Terry Larrier, a transfer from VCU, and Alterit Gilbert, who was a top 30 recruit uh, at point guard. Uh, they returned Jalen Adams. Question marks up front, but uh, they did bring some transfers in. So, uh, you know, one from junior college, one from Cornell. So we will see. But, um, you know, having problems up front is, is kind of – an issue for a lot of schools, uh, you know, big men leave pretty quickly these days, even if they get half decent. So, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm optimistic about UConn basketball. I don't, uh, it's definitely kind of a, a 
who knows what happens this season. But, um, you know, I, I do think just with that core of Jalen Adams, Alterique Gilbert, Terry Larrier, that's, you know, that's a star trio, really. So, um, yeah, hope, hopes are high for me on that end, but I am very optimistic overall. So um, how many graduate degrees does Arkill Newsom have so far? Because he's been playing against us since <laughs> I think I was an undergrad myself. So yeah, just I like... Mean, yeah, what's he doing? Yeah. So, you know, it's interesting. He's, he's been, you're, you're right, he's been playing since he was a freshman. He's actually, he didn't redshirt. Um, he, he got on the field as a true freshman. He was a big recruit for UConn. I know it's just Connecticut high school football, but he, he shattered record books. He had, you know, some absurd, like, 12 yards per carry or something like that. Um, I mean, he had, he had made some amazing plays and, and was a parade All-American, actually. So uh, that was a big pickup for UConn. He got time as a freshman. He had a really big sophomore campaign, uh, kind of well, what we thought might have been his breakout over 1,200 yards from scrimmage took a step back last year as a junior. And so now here he is in his senior year for the Huskies. And um, now he's in a timeshare with a redshirt freshman from Texas. So uh, he did, he was the starter last week. And then as of this week became an or uh, in the number one spot on the depth chart with redshirt freshman, Nate Hopkins, who had three touchdowns last week and hundred some odd yards on 20 carries. So yeah, he looked good, actually. I, I got to see enough of him where he looks like he can be something. Um, talk about guys that we should watch out for. USF right now defensively looks a little bit better than they did last year. We, we really don't know yet because, I, I mean, San Jose State and Stony Brook, mm-hmm. you know, not exactly offensive juggernauts. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the defense looks like they tackle a little bit better. They're a little better in space. Some Still maybe some push problems. Who should USF look out for besides the guys that we've already known for, you know, multiple years who were playing, you know, before this century like Sheriffs and Newsom? On the offense? Yeah. At wide receiver, UConn is, has a youth movement going on over there. Um, Noel Thomas, who you may recall, uh, he had a pretty, sure. good, pretty good couple of years for the Huskies. He had 100 receptions last year, and obviously there's not going to be one person to replace him. So a couple of names to keep an eye out for uh, in the wide receiver group. That would be Hergi Mayala. Um, who had a pretty good performance last week. He had he had 100 yards and a touchdown last week. He's he's uh, the top outside receiver right now. You know, six foot one, just traditional kind of prototypical wide receiver one. Keon Dixon is a redshirt freshman. Oh, sorry, Mayall is a junior. Keon Dixon is a is a redshirt freshman. He was a high school quarterback who came in with a lot of talent. You know, I think he was he was a Connecticut high school quarterback. But I think if he was playing wide receiver, you know, in New Jersey or something, it would have easily been a three-star recruit. He's six foot two, six three. He was a he was an all-state track athlete and someone who has a lot of promise, who uh, I think could do a lot of different things. And then the other one to keep an eye on would be Quavon Skeins. Only had two receptions last week, but someone who the staff is pretty high on, who was a three-star recruit out of the Chicago area. Uh, so one of kind of one of Bob Diaco's bigger recruits, uh, I would say. Uh, Skeins is, is more of that, you know, shorter, quicker, make-you-miss slot receiver kind of guy who could, be, could have that home run hitter uh, potential. Defensively, 
quickly just who uh, who we who should we look out for uh, players that are you know particularly effective as their shutdown corner or a linebacker we need to worry about or somebody who can get to the QB. Yeah, so the front seven I think is really strong. Or um, it's a front six now. We we're, we've switched to a three three five defense. Yeah. But some of the names you may remember from the past. So Foley Fatukasi, all name, all star team. Foley <laughs> Fatukasi, uh, defensive lineman. He he's a beast. And then Luke Carrizola is another guy. You know, you might make the same joke. But he's been a he's been a productive and useful player all four years he's been at UConn and. Uh, this is his senior year, and he's, you know, looks like he's going to have a really good year. And and in a more aggressive defense, may actually be a little bit more disruptive than he has been in the past. And then there's another guy in a similar vein, another four-year player, Vontae Diggs at linebacker, who um, is also worth keeping an eye out on. And the rest of the defense, the secondary is um, vulnerable, I, I would say, to be completely honest. So the corners are are pretty solid. Um, there's Jamar Summers, who had eight interceptions yeah. two years ago, took a bit of a step back, gave up some big plays last year as a junior, also played some safety because of because of some positional needs. But he's a, he's a you know, I think he's a very good corner. And then on the other side, we've got Trey Bell, who was a transfer from Vanderbilt at the other three defensive back positions. We've got redshirt freshmen and redshirt sophomores, uh, you know, kind of all over that too deep and they're just rotating. We're trying to figure out who is the person who's going to, who's going to stand out and, and, and take a hold of that job. And last year that never happened in, in one of the open safety positions with those same guys. And, and that's why we had to move summers over there. So the secondary I think has, you know, I'm, I'm even though USF has, sort of struggled against against its first two opponents i i'm still pretty worried because um you know normally we can count on the husky defense to be pretty stout and and at least make it a close game but in this instance the secondary might be weaker than it has been even in in not that it was pretty weak but it'll be weaker than it has been in the past couple of years so got some you know we've got some good talent up front but um you know especially at the safety and and you know we're running an extra defensive back now it's it's pretty vulnerable gotcha bulls are 17 point favorite uh that is clearly against the history of this series which is uh usf wins it's a it's a knockdown drag out slugfest and somehow usf pulls it out at the end uh within under 10 points um so 17 seems uh pretty uh pretty high for for the history i think usf fans would say that they just don't know what they're going to get this weekend you know we haven't targeted a running back yet and that was such a staple of our offense last year uh we haven't run a we've run not one screen while running back we've run some like wide receiver stuff we've run like two bubbles which were such big parts of our offense we were a you know keep it short short intermediate zone read type team and then take a shot down the field uh we just haven't seen any of that yet out of of sterling gilbert and, and usf and so there's some concern on our end. We were thinking at first, maybe, well, you know, maybe they're trying to keep stuff off tape, but when you're losing in the third quarter on your home field well, to an FCS team, mm-hmm. uh, it's generally time to open it up. And they, they, they did a couple of different things to loosen it up a little bit, but really haven't shown the, the dynamic offense that we've seen in the past. So, you know, when we played you guys last year, it was, you know, we were, yeah, I was, a, I was a team that was clicking two years ago, even up there, you know, that was sort of when USF had turned the corner already. In fact, were you guys the first game after the Syracuse game, I think in 15, when we went up there and I think we won like 28, 20. 
Um, yep, yep, yeah, that's right. And uh, so, you know, so in the in the history of this, the it just seems like, and and to be honest, you know, you take away two years ago, and and I guess four years ago now too, but in the past, you, I mean, this stadium has been a house of horrors for USF. Some of some of the worst losses in program history, some of the most devastating losses in program history. But it's been a while since we've had one of those up there too. So. I also noticed you've got a Florida quarterback on here. Your third string guy went to my rival high school. Oh, so yeah, Marvin, Marvin Washington. Marvin Washington. He went to deep. I went to Boone. He went to Dr. Bill. <clears throat> so, if you're getting kids out of Florida, that's always a good sign. I think for your recruiting in the future, that's for sure. sure. Predictions. What do you think? And by the way, are you going this weekend? You going to be up there? Uh, I'm not, unfortunately. I actually okay. just got back from Florida. I was in Fort Lauderdale uh, for the long weekend, but. Um, uh, I will not be there, unfortunately. Um, but just so you know, we actually did open up a Chick-fil-A in our stadium. So I heard. There you go. Uh, last week when I went to the opener, the media meal was uh, quite good as well, a local barbecue joint. So um, nice. be excited for, for both of those things. Um, I will not be there, unfortunately. Uh, I live in Washington, D.C., and that, that trip is uh, tough to make so often. My prediction, you know, it's really hard to know what to expect right now. The Huskies will be starting Sharefs. Uh, that was announced today. Woohoo! And, um, you know, I know I know we all love to make jokes about Sharefs, um, but, you know, he, he's, he's um, your classic high floor, low ceiling guy. And uh, for, for the Huskies at that point, that, that worked. And I think... Um, you know, there's there's a little bit of a body of work which suggests that with a competent coaching staff, um, you know, he he might be a very serviceable starting quarterback who can efficiently move the offense. And uh, it's definitely possible that he's able to do that quite well against USF. But will the Husky defense hold up and will the offense, even if it does well by UConn standards, be able to compete in a shootout? I don't know. So I, I do think USF wins this one. 17 is a bit much. I'm, I might take the points just because, but, uh, you know, I, I do think USF wins this one and, and it's by like 10 to 14. I, uh, you know, we make sheriff's jokes, the sheriffs, I, as you know, the sheriffs in town, we've been doing this forever. And, and, you know, I've that bowl game that you and I went to a couple of years ago down here in St. Pete, he was playing and just, didn't seem like it was it was really clicking for him. But our guy who helps us out, who was a former quarterback at USF, Stephen Bench, he has always pointed out that he thinks, you know, Sharef is one of the toughest sons of bitches he's ever seen play. Mm-hmm. And that he's just a kid who, you know, gives it his all, works his butt off. And, yeah, we, you know, we make fun of his talent and all that kind of stuff. And But that's just because we're on the other team. But I am i don't think anyone would question the heart of that kid, that's for sure, because I've seen him just get rocked and still mm-hmm. stand up and then stand in there for the next play. So I'm rooting for him after UConn, that's for sure. All right, so uh, we will uh, we'll get you out of here, Amon, but thanks for the time, brother. Um, we will uh, do this again. Uh, hopefully I will see you in Philadelphia for media day for basketball if I head up that way. And uh, But I think you guys should be a little more excited about your basketball season this year. I don't know why. I, you can't keep Kevin Ollie down for that long, and there's no way you're not winning the national championship with the women next year. There's just no chance. Well, there's oh, yeah, nobody's going to get close. But, I don't worry about that for for any amount of time. I don't even consider the possibility. Yeah. So, thank you very thank, much. You're welcome, buddy. Uh, <laughs> thanks again. Thanks for doing this, um, and uh, we will see you again. Thanks. Man. Absolutely. Thanks, Colin. Bye. Bye, buddy. Okay, so let's talk about you, Connor, ourselves. 
I don't know what the hell to think of this game. So the spread came out and it was 17 and I was like, stay okay. away. I mean, I would run screaming from this game. I have no idea what we're going to do. If USF starts throwing some, some screens to the flat, they start taking shots downfield. If they start moving the pocket around a little, if they start putting in some elements of the Gulf coast offense, kind of like USF, because, you know, as Amon said, their secondary is not great, Bob. If uh, USF continues to line up in these, you know, what I termed 11.5 and 12.5 sets where, you know, they're trying, they're bringing extra defenders into the box and and trying to run it down throats and then play off of that. No, I I don't like, Mm -hmm. you know, USF to cover a 17 at all. I think they could still run, you know, the offense that they ran last week and still maybe find a way to win just because UConn's not great either. Uh, Stony Brook actually played pretty hard and played pretty physical. Is UConn really yeah. capable of doing that against USF? I don't know. So well, I, I think USF did not change the offense and still win. But if they do, I, I certainly like their chances. I don't know. I'm always worried about a UConn defense. I would, uh, like, just instinctually, I think they're always good. Like I, sure. I mean, they gave up 358 passing yards to Holy Cross. But I, I still think that they'll, they could shut USF down. Uh, even if be- they were running with the Gulf Coast offense, it's just UConn always petrifies me. They're up there with Rutgers and just weirdness of games. Um, outside of last year, nine uh, nine of the last ten UConn USF games were decided by eight or fewer points. So okay. it it's literally a toss up with this team outside of last year when it was just a dumpster fire for UConn. So uh, you talk about the 358 for Holy Cross. I watched the game, and that quarterback from Holy Cross is good. I was like, how's this kid in FCS? Like, he's going to sling it. He was really good. I worry about how they're going to be able to cover the multiple receivers that USF has. Because even when they're – it's still mostly – the base offense for USF is three wide, which means you need to have three guys to cover and then at least one safety high and usually two. Mm-hmm. Do they have five guys who can get out there and cover in space? You know, but then Quentin's got to get him the ball in the right spot, too. And though USF has problems with drops, it, the balls aren't being delivered in great spots either. It's There have been a couple that have hit it right in the hands that have been getting dropped, but a lot of them have been high, have been wide. You know, the touchdown yeah. catch that was the touchdown, spectacular. Well, because it was for the wrong reason. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> because it was a terrible throw by Quentin. Uh, but they got it done. And, you know, if they can just find ways to throw the ball up to the guys on the outside and let them make plays on it. You know, the Tyree on fourth and what was that fourth and eight? The, or no, what was it? The Tyree drop. The, the scramble uh, drill. To the the scramble drill. Yeah. I don't know what down it was, but I mean, it was fourth he, down. He got behind the, he got behind the defense and it would have been a touchdown. And he just, he just dropped it. Just flat out a, dropped it. But like, that's, that's great process, bad outcome. You know yep. what I mean? Like, I'm okay with that drop because if you keep throwing that pass, you're going to complete it a hell of a lot more than you're not. And so that's okay. But some of the, you know, other throws that were out there were, you know, bad process and occasionally some good outcome too. Mm-hmm. I just don't know what to think of this game. I don't know what to think of this offense yet. I don't know if they're going to open it up a little bit more now that it's conference playing. You're not playing a terrible San Jose state team and an FCS team. If they open it up, I like USF's chances. If they don't, I don't know. Uh, defensively, you know, how many times has USF, like, Augie Sanchez, Arkel Newsom, and Brian Sheriffs are probably all going to go get beers the night before. And I, because they've know those guys know each other at this point. <laughs> well, so, they, I mean, they've been, they've been <laughs> hanging out since like 95. <laughs> they were. 
<laughs> you know, I, I think those guys like, you know, used to share snap bracelets. They're so old. Yeah. Um, like this is, yeah, it's kind of crazy. So to see them all out there together, I, I know Augie will know how to get everybody ready for a UConn offense, even if it is not Diaco anymore and it's Edsel. Uh, they do have a new coordinator, but you know, how much can you really do with what? And, and, and as Amon discussed, you know, there's a, they are making inroads in talent. They are beating, you know, some other teams out and they're growing their recruiting base. But, you know, the day that UConn football out recruits USF football is the day we got to shut the blog down. So, yeah, there should be a talent gap between both teams. It'll just come down to coaching, execution. And, you know, so who knows? Well, I just I, I thought I knew more about this team than I did. They're not showing me what I thought I would see so far this season. And, and until they do, you know, you got to you got to do it when it matters, when the lights are on. So we'll see what they do. We have Twitter questions. Let's do we this. do have some Twitter questions. Hopefully there are some good Twitter questions. Let me pull them up real quick. This is from Jason Tippin at big with two G's underscore tip. What are the chances this was all set up and Q will start cooking? Not great, Bob. Uh, if this was all a setup, I mean, it's possible that they just, you know, open the book and do everything this week. But like when you're down in the third quarter of against an FCS team on your home field and you still just kind of keep doing the same stuff, you know, after, after he threw the pick in the third quarter, you got to, you know, that's it. Like, okay, this ain't working. We need to win this game. Mm-hmm. like open it up. Like, let's start doing some stuff. Let's throw some screens. Let's take some deep shots. You know, let's do some, let's do some Gulf coast elements when they didn't do it. Then, then I got a little concerned. So uh, I, is, if this is like some grand scheme, some sort of huge master plan, by God, you know, they leveled all of us. <laughs> we just, yeah. we just been owned by Sterling Gilbert. It was, like, it was a so hard super good punk. So we've all been pwned, but if that is not the case, then I don't see it. Yeah. All right. Next question from Zach Palmer at ZM Palm. Between the last two games, Q's body language looks different. Have you caught that? SG, yes. Sterling Gilbert, and Q in the new system look off. Well, yeah, the some hardcore growing pains. Uh, I mean – you talked to Quentin after the game on Saturday. What, what did you see? I asked him one question. I said, do you feel as comfortable in this offense this year as you did at the end of 2016? And he just gave me a one-word answer, yes. And, you know, usually Quentin's a little more – he's not the most loquacious guy, but usually he says a little He'll bit more He'll give you something, yeah. He'll usually give you something. And he says at the end of the day a lot. You usually get, at the end of the day, mm-hmm. we just got to be better, blah, 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 blah. I didn't even get that. I, I don't know. He certainly doesn't look comfortable. Uh, if he says that – I'm not feeling it. I, I I can't haven't really had a chance to see with the the body line, and I hate being body language guy anyway. But what the dynamic between him and Sterling is on the sideline, or any of the offensive coaches for that matter. Yeah, I don't know. He just no. Do I think he looks as comfortable? I, I to the eye test, no. But I also hate reading into things and body language with eye tests because I don't think that's fair. Yeah, I mean we're not. I think it was Tyree today during the press conference. You know, he said. You know, he's going up and down the sideline talking to offense, defense, you know, about, you know, keeping their spirits high, you know, talking to everyone, making sure they're all on the same page. I don't think he's different. I haven't talked to him in uh, probably about a week. So I, I haven't had the chance to interact with him. But, I mean, during fall camp, he seemed fine. 
Um, you know, he seemed excited about the offense. And, you know, it's natural for a star quarterback or a star player to be upset that, you know, he's not able to do everything he was able to do last year. And hopefully it gets turned around quickly for him. I mean, he's he's a great, he's a great guy. Uh, I, I love talking to him. He's, you know, he's very personable. And I think it, I think it's going to get turned around sooner than later. But if it doesn't change this week, it probably won't change at all. The best answer I've gotten out of Quentin at both of the games this year was I when we were in San Jose, I, I love to ask the like the offbeat question and in the press conference spot because sometimes you get a more honest answer because the guys are just like going through the motions. So he what I didn't realize is he was wearing it was a he has a dog tag that he wears with his daughter's name on it and his name on the other side. And I think like birthdays or something like that. Um, it's like a, not like a, just a, like a pressed one that you would get out of like a, a vending machine either. It's like a nicer high end one. Um, but I think that's the, like the longest answer I've got on a Quentin for anything this season. Um, it's, it's talking about a, a, you know, just something that he has for, for his daughter. So, you know, I, I'm I'm rooting for the kid. I just want to see him be able to. He's given he's done so much for the university. You know, he he's been through so much personally in his life and the, and the losses of his life. Like to, you know, to still be, you know, as successful as he's been with all that he's gone through. Um, I'm really rooting for him, and I just hope he gets the chance this season to, to show the world what he can do and gets get himself a bit of a national platform. That would be nice. What's next? All right. Um... L.E.J. at Bulls on Parade 96 asks, who should be the lead running back? Number six, Darius Tice, plays much more hungry right now. It depends on what you want to do. If you want to run the ball the way that in the current, you know, with Wilcox coming in and trap blocking and power and, you know, pulling Jeremy Hall and, and that kind of stuff. Yeah. Uh, all right, Tice, if you're going to try and get on the edge and get downfield and, be explosive. I, I think I still kind of lean towards DJ and also, you know, blitz pickup. Like, although I think Tice, some of these blitz pickups that I see in my chart, like Tice was the guy who was making the pickup. So mm-hmm. I think that the, the gap there, you know, the gap between Marlon and pickup and, <laughs> and, and, and DJ and pickup was pretty significant, even though Marlon yeah. is now in the league because like Marlon, Marlon missed a few. <laughs> Let's be fair. Yeah, he, he wasn't <laughs> about getting hit. He was. He, he had an NFL wife to worry about, and uh, there were a couple times when he he just you know would kind of block the wrong guy, and DJ kind of never did that. But I don't think the the pickup uh, the blocking pickup difference between DJ and Tice is is as great. So it just depends what you want to do. Like if you're gonna get vertical down the field, I still trust DJ just because I've seen him do it. Can Tice be that guy on a wheel route that gets you you know 30 down the sideline? Maybe he can be, but I've seen DJ do it. So we'll yep. see. I agree. Um, this from Christopher Brown at CT Brown 720. There's a lot to work on, but what's the number one priority for the team heading into UConn? Score more points than UConn. Score yep. a lot more points than UConn. I, 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 number one priority, um, I would go, you know, find a way to put a 40 or 50 burger on them and, and punt protection. I think those are my two priorities going into this game. Yeah. <laughs> I agree. agree. I, yep. Uh, just better offensive line play. I think if there's just, you know, if they're 30% better than they were last week, I think the offense does infinitely better. 
this week against UConn. Like they don't have to be, you know, the what the Hogs from the Washington football team in like yeah. the 70s. But if they're decent enough, I mean, the offense will take off. There were just so many missed opportunities because of poor blocking last week. So I don't know if it's a, it's probably play calling and blocking 50-50, but just block better, guys. Just yeah, you have, you have one job. But you got to be put in position to do that job well, and I think running power is not the way to do it. And I think zone blocking and and some some screens and some quicker throws so that they don't need to be out there like you know holding guys up and pancaking people. Yeah, so, comes down to scheme too. This is from your friend and our friend. We take the stairs at no escalators. They are Yukon <laughs> centric uh, Twitter account to say the least. And they have been on the podcast with us before. Yes. Uh, On a scale of one to Voodoo 5, how worried are you about getting Edsold on Saturday? So I actually answered this question on my Twitter account already because I saw who it was. Um, I said 2.8. I was at at absolute zero before last weekend. I thought the offense would have been fine after what I saw. I'm at 2.8 worried. There's been a house of horrors for USF. And so, of course, you're going to have the demons come out because USF is just a program that's filled with demons. And I'm finding that out that I thought I had demons and then I see our fans and I think our fans even have worse demons than I do. Yeah. Just in, in like watching the meltdowns in the first quarter and the second, like, I mean, they're like fire Sterling. We're never going to be any good. Charlie sucks. Like we've played six quarters of football this season. Like, you know, so I, I get the demon thing. If any place can bring out the demons though, it's, it's Wrenchler. Or just, um, you know, or Piscataway. It's, those two places. Yeah. Dirty-ass place in Rutgers. They, and by the way, I said something about Rutgers this week to Matt Brown. I, I tweeted it directly at Matt Brown, and a whole bunch of Rutgers idiots just, like, saw the tweet that I wrote and just, like, like oh, oh, USF sucks, AAC sucks. I'm like, guys, I wasn't even – one, I wasn't even talking to you. <laughs> <laughs> this is an A-B conversation. See your yeah, way out, fam. Like, seriously, guys, and, like – like you have been a doormat in the Big Ten. You have no hope and no chance. Like, stop. Oh, and by the way, you're tens of millions of dollars in debt and have like multiple scandals running at the same time. So we'll deal. Anyway, Rutgers fans are the worst. UConn fans actually. I really like UConn fans. Yeah. Um, the ones that I've always interacted with, like, you know, no escalators guys, Amon, uh, the Dimeback guys, Russ Steinberg, all them, they've always been great. So Really, I think we all get that we're sort of in this purgatory and we're all just sort of here until we're all finding a way to get out. But the UConn fans seem to get that more than most. Absolutely. Uh, all right, so this is the last word question. This is from Kervin, uh, at underscore KROCK88. Am oh, I the only one worried that it takes blitzing to get to the quarterback? Special teams, why do teams come after our punts and but not us? All right, first part of the question I mean, I think the team has like six sacks or something like that over the past two weeks. Yeah, like I I just – they're not getting spectacular pressure. I don't think, you know, USF is tremendous across the front seven. I think they're better. I think they tackle better. I think they're able to get pressure better than they were last season. But this isn't by no means – this is not the the 85 Bears, okay? No. You know, this is not even – like the 2007 defense, this is not some sort of all-world unit. Uh, 
they're they can be okay. I want to see them against talent. You know, we're not going to see any talent for a while, but I want to see what they can do against uh, a better football team. I just I I don't know yet. It's it's so tough to judge a defense because so many of the parts have to work together, and I don't know. So I I, I think they're better. I, they definitely tackle better. That's the one thing that you can clearly see is that they, oh, they yeah. tackle better, and it does seem they play they they play assignment football a little bit better. The guy who's uh, really taking the leap in tackling has been Ronnie Hoggins. That's kind of been his weak point uh, through his first couple of years on campus. But I mean, he has he has 13 unassisted tackles, 14 total, and four passes defended. And he had his uh, left hand in a cast on Saturday. So, I mean, he's still fighting out there, and he looked good. I think he made the first two stops of the game, and he's he's been a big improvement. Um, but to go back to the sacks, the defense has six total sacks. One, two, three, four, five. Five of them are from the defensive line. Nico Saltel is the only one that only other non-D lineman that has a sack. Greg Reeves has earned his spot. Uh, I thought Absolutely. He's, been, he's been pretty impressive through the first two games. He has uh, seven tackles, two and a half tackles for loss and a sack, plus the near pick six that he just – Dropped. Uh, he's been he's been good. They've been standing him up, standing him up a lot, and uh, he's been out in coverage over. The, he was over the, uh, the tight end on Saturday, so they're doing a lot of different things with him. We'll see if that continues. I I know they do kind of like the the three three five look if it if you want to call it that with this with him standing up. Um, they brought in Josh Black and uh, Juwan Brown. On um, you know they had a, like a hockey line switch after a. Mm-hmm. After Kevin Bronson jumped off sides, they just switched everyone, and they had Juwan Brown and Josh Black stand up. And the, I mean, they're doing some stuff to get the speed rushers just a little bit more of an advantage against the the tackles. So I, I don't think it's just blitzing that that they have to do to get to the quarterback. I think the D line's done a pretty good job of getting to the quarterback. And special teams, why do they come after our punts? And we don't. It's all situation. You know, you're not going to go after someone's punt at when they're punting from their 35. But USF's been pinned back a few times, and that's when you pin yours back and go after a punt. And, you know, outside of large adult punters, perfect coffin corner for San Jose State, they haven't been, you know, inside their own five or inside their own ten to give them the opportunity to go after a block. Yeah, don't waste your punt. Like, when you, sh- when you show a punt block on film, like, you, you're – you're firing a, a at a certain gap, or you're you're twisting, or you're doing something. You don't put that on film until you have to. And when yeah. you're playing, you know, the first two games, you save your your best punt block play and you save your best field goal block play, you know, until you have to show it. So we haven't had to show. That's one thing I think that the film you're not going to see on film yeah. at all. So, all right, uh, we good? Yeah, that was the last of the Twitter questions. Thanks, guys, uh, and uh, go Bulls. Go Bulls. Go Bulls.